welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Great to be with you here with you this morning. Sounds like you're glad to be in church. That's great. I feel so honoured. As Mick said, I, I really it's so good to see you here. I know there's a whole bunch of reasons not to be here. Maybe you had a late night. Maybe it's been a big week. But to see you here is just great this morning. So welcome. Trust that you're just going to enjoy the rest of what uh, we have in store this morning. But uh, I'd just love to begin just by praying for, for myself and for you before we dismiss our worship team and just hear a little bit from, from the Word of God. So Father, I just ask that uh, by your Holy Spirit you would help me this morning just to share what I have prepared here. But I pray that more than that you'd give us ears to hear what's being said. You would help us to not just hear something, Lord God, but to take it in and assimilate this into our lives. That Ultimately, our heart's desire, I think, the fact that we're here on New Year's Day says something about our commitment to you, says something about that we don't just want to be Christian in name, but we want to be Christian in nature. We want to be people who are known as followers of Jesus. And so help us to grow in you this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please take your seats. Thanks, worship team. That was outstanding this morning. I so appreciated being here with you guys this morning. Thanks for leading us. I like New Year. What do you reckon? It's good. It's one of those times when you just kind of, well, a lot of people certainly take stock of what's gone before and what's ahead. And so, you know, Happy New Year. I think it's a good thing. So welcome here. And uh, I don't know if you've done this this year, but you've probably done it in the past or at least some time. And certainly there'll be many, many, many people doing the thing that, that Mick's already alluded to. And that is making a New Year's resolution. I mean, who's ever done that? Who's ever started the year by saying, this year, I'm going to save more money. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to be a better husband or a better wife or a better parent. I'm going to get control of my temper, be more patient, get fit, whatever it might be. There's a, there's a squillion things that people um, often resolve to do at the start of the year. But what you often find is that often they're making the same resolution they made the year before and the year before that and the year before that because most people don't actually get to fulfil their New Year's resolution. In fact, the studies show that it's about 45, 45% of all people by the end of January, they've already blown it. The best intentions to fulfil something is gone by January. And 92% apparently by the end of the year, they haven't achieved what they actually started out the year by setting out to achieve. And to me, really, that just, that just says something about the truth of what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 7, verse 19, you know that scripture where Paul's talking about the struggle within? You know, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. To me, New Year's resolutions and those that particularly are recurring ones are just evidence of the fact that you know, we are trapped outside of God. We, we, there's something in us that, that tends away from doing what is right and doing what is good. And so that's why year after year we have to come back and make another New Year's revolution to be a better person. And so um, this morning we just thought, and, and as we were preparing and just thinking about, you know, how do we start the year? We thought it would be great as a, as a pastoral team to present something, a series called I Resolve. Because we, and it's not just about a New Year's resolution, this is something I ultimately want us to carry into the rest of our lives. 
I don't know about you, but, but I, I want to resolve to be a follower of Jesus. I mentioned that in my prayer. You know, there's a lot of people in Australia and throughout the world that, that bear the tag Christian. Okay, that, you know, they're Christian perhaps because of their heritage. They were born into a Christian family. Or perhaps they think just by virtue of being born in a, in a Christian nation that they're Christian. And I think the word Christian is just banded around far too easily and far too often. And, it, and, and, and the tragedy of that is that people have a misunderstanding about what a Christian actually is. And so I think perhaps the, the term follower of Jesus is, is certainly far more appropriate. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be known as a Christian, you know, like some little tag in my life. But I want to be someone who people can look at and say, that person's a follower of Jesus. They're following Jesus in the way that they live. And so we are starting a series today called I Resolve. And really it's about resolving to be a follower of Jesus. But there, there's a few things practically that I think that, that looks like. There are some attitudes, there are some actions, there are some attributes that should be evident in our life if we are followers of Jesus. And so, um, you know, Jesus himself probably never had to make a New Year's revolution, resolution, I just figured. Just thought about that then. Imagine that, everyone in school, Jesus in school, and everyone's, okay, kids, what are you gonna, what's going to be your New Year's resolution? Jesus? Um, be a good boy. No, nah, got that nailed. Uh, don't gossip. No, nah. uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's for free. But part one of our series, as we resolve to follow this person who never needed to make a New Year's resolution, is I resolve to live beyond myself. I resolve to live beyond myself. You know, our natural tendency is to live within ourselves and towards ourselves and for ourselves. You know, our work and our energy and our effort goes into making our life more comfortable, more secure. And often, you know, tragically, it's at the expense of others that we get ahead. We don't live beyond ourselves well. We live for ourselves and to ourselves. And that's the exact opposite of the example that is set by Jesus. Jesus lived large. He lived beyond himself. Everything he did was about others, ultimately. His life, his teaching was all about getting beyond himself and teaching us to get beyond ourselves because of the the state of the world in which we live. We live in a broken world. We live in a hurting world. And if we're just going to live towards ourselves, that brokenness and that hurt is just going to increase and increase and increase. But Jesus has called us to make a difference in the world, to be salt and to be light and to bring healing and hope into a world that has many, many problems. And so Jesus, if he hadn't been committed to living beyond himself, I think his life would have looked very, very different than what it did. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 to 24, Jesus putting out a call to those who were listening, really about being a follower of himself. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. So really, this is a call, isn't it? Not to live introvertedly, but to live beyond ourselves, to live expansive lives. But what is denying ourselves like, you know, what does that really look like? What does living sacrificially for the sake of Jesus and for others look like? I mean, really? I mean, if we struggle to lose five kilos in a year or get a few extra bucks in the bank, I mean, how really are we going to do this thing? You know, most people fail to live up to their New Year's resolutions for a couple of reasons. Firstly, most people are just too airy-fairy and wishy-washy in terms of the goal they're actually making. They might say, I want to lose some weight, or I want to get fit. And that's cool, but you know what they say, a dream without a plan is just a fantasy. And many people's 
resolutions shouldn't, don't really deserve to be called a resolution because a resolution is a firm decision. It's a commitment to walk something out. And you, that doesn't happen by accident. Okay, so many people have these goals, but they're just fantasies because there's no plan attached to it. There's no smaller goals, I guess, to actually help me achieve that goal. If I want to lose some weight, for example, you know, there's some things that I need to plan into my life. The, you know, the way, what I eat and the way I eat and when I eat, you know, there's a, some minor, some smaller goals that are attached to that larger goal around eating, what we eat. The same with regards to exercise. Okay, and so to, if we're going to achieve and, and, and actually fulfill some of these things, it's about breaking it down a little bit as to how can we actually achieve these goals. It's about being accountable. It's about having measurable goals. When we talk to married couples and stuff, we talk about people setting goals together, and many people's goals, they're not actually achieve, you know, even if you achieve your goal, you don't know because you've got nothing in place to actually help you measure your goal. So it's good to have specific um, factors in terms of your goals that you can actually aspire to achieving. I mean, losing weight, what does that mean? Are you happy to lose a gram? Are you happy to lose 200? Are you happy to lose a kilo? You know, whatever. But set a goal. It's going to help you. And then tell someone else that can actually help you and encourage you. We don't feel like going to the gym. They can say, no, you've got to do it, man. Go for a gym. Go, to the, go for a walk or whatever. They can encourage you in your goals. And I think so this combination of being a bit more specific, breaking things down, being accountable and having things that are measurable can help us. It can help us generally in terms of your personal you know, New Year's resolution, whatever you might have made, or other things that you've spoken about as a married couple or whatever. But even in terms of following Jesus and resolving to live beyond ourselves, I think there are some things that we can do that will help us actually walk into that, okay, or, or, or live more in it than we possibly already are. And the first thing I think that can help us in terms of living beyond ourselves is just to foster a greater appreciation for what we already have, for what God has already done for us. You know, I think if we, if we don't appreciate what we have and life is about us, there's very little chance that we're going to live for the sake of others. But when we realise that we are a person who has been blessed and, and you know, lavish love upon, and there are so many things in our life that we need to be thankful for, I don't know about you, but that, that motivates me to, out of that thankfulness to do things for others. You know, there's a woman who came to Jesus and uh, Jesus, you know, she, she washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And Jesus in the home of a Pharisee who thought he was quite righteous and didn't, didn't need anything from God, really, because he was, he was measuring up already in his own eyes. And this woman comes, and she's broken. She knows the sort of life that she's lived. And she comes before Jesus. She just throws herself at his feet, and she washes his feet with her hair. And, and Jesus points out the difference between the Pharisee and the woman. And he says, you know, this woman has, not, has, has washed my feet. She's not stopped crying. She's washed my feet with her tears and with her hair. And she said, you, you didn't do anything for me when I came in your house. You didn't give me a bowl of water to wash with. And then he goes on to say that those who have been given much, or sorry, who have been forgiven much, love much. And I think our service, our motivation to serve others and get beyond ourselves is going to be largely dependent upon how much we appreciate what we've been given ourselves. If we don't think much about what God has done for us, we're not likely to think about too much about how we can repay the favour. But if we take some time to reflect on this awesome God and what he's done for us, both directly and indirectly, because just by virtue of being in Australia, there are many indirect blessings that come our way. You know, the Bible talks about the fact the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are many wicked people in Australia that are blessed by living in this country. Good things happen to them just by virtue of being in this country. We've, we've 
seen a testimony about Rad and having to leave a, a war-torn country. And so do we take our peace for granted? Do we take our freedom for granted? Some people say, oh, what freedom? You know, politicians, this, that, and everything else. No, we live in relative freedom. We have choice. We can spend our money on where we want to spend it by and large. And we have lots of choice in terms of what we're going to spend it on. We don't live in a country where all you can buy is grey. Or where you, there's no choice because of the poverty in the country. Or the control of the government. We don't have to, you know, if, if uh, Julia Gillard was to pass away, we wouldn't be called into the streets and have to put on a show. Or else possibly face the consequences. We live in a free country. We live in a blessed country. We live in a prosperous country. We are provided for. Even if we are out of work, we are provided for by our government and by those that are paying the taxes. Okay? It's a blessed place to live in. Your personal circumstances, yes, you might be going through some troubles, but I can guarantee that if you're in this room, that there are people that love you and are supporting you, hopefully family, hopefully friends, but certainly members of this congregation have got your back and are looking out for you at some level. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to appreciate. And it can overflow in gratitude towards God. And God, how can I make it up to you? How can I thank you for what you've done for me? Where would you be? For those that are in a relationship with Jesus, where would you be without that relationship? Do you ever take time to think, okay, this is the point in my life, traveling on my own merry way, doing my own thing. This is the point in my life where I met Jesus. And since then, my life has gone down this path. But where would it have otherwise gone? If I hadn't submitted myself to Jesus' lordship, if I hadn't listened to his voice, and if I hadn't allowed him to shape and mould my character, would I still be married? Would I have got married? Would I have kids? Would I have thousands of kids? Would I still be breathing today? We don't know, but these are the sorts of things that I think many of us would do ourselves well to, to ponder on these things, because if we do, I think a little thing called gratitude might begin to well up in our hearts. And when you've got gratitude in your life, it's so much easier to begin to live beyond yourself. That makes sense. What have you been saved from? What have you been saved to? Many, the Bible says that without God, we're without hope in this world. Many are just existing today. They have no sense of purpose. They have no sense of direction. They're living with a continual sense of dread. What does the future hold? Is it all over when, when I breathe my last breath? Or is there something beyond that? If there is, what is it? Do I need to be afraid of it or... The Bible says for those of us that know God, we've had this fear of death removed. We can embrace the future and whatever it has to hold, both in this life and the next, because of our confidence in God, because of what he's already done on our behalf. So that's the first thing. A greater level of appreciation in our lives is going to help us to live beyond ourselves. And that's something we can do something about. We can make a choice daily just to count our blessings. That's the action point for that. Okay, Just make time in your day to count your blessings. To think about, what have you done in my life, God? And take time to thank him for it. You'll find it so much easier to live beyond yourself. The second thing I want to mention this morning is just a greater awareness. A greater awareness of the needs of others. One of the amazing things about Jesus was just, just this fact. That he was so aware of everything that was going on around him. Now, you might say, oh, he had a bit of an advantage being the son of God. I'll grant that point. (laughs) But the fact is, Jesus lived his life as a spirit-filled man. In a sense, he, he restrained his own divinity and he was dependent upon a relationship with the Holy Spirit, just as you and I are. 
And that's why we get up early in the morning, we go and spend time praying and the things that you and I need to do to develop a relationship with God, Jesus did those things. And so he went into a day sensitized. I'm sure part of his prayer was, Father, help me today to be aware of what's going on around me, to, to be able to distinguish the time wasters from those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because I want to spend my time with these guys that are hungry and thirsty and, and, and leave those guys for another day. He, doesn't, he didn't hate them, he didn't, but he just had limited time, limited resources, uh, and he just needed to make things count. We see that, you know, as people were saying, Jesus, stay here. We want you to stay in our little town and, and be our prophet and our priest and our king. And Jesus said, no, I've got work to do elsewhere. So much as it's been fun knowing you guys and, you know, it's been great healing and delivering and all that, I've got to go because there are plenty of other towns that have needs as well. And so Jesus was able to move on because of his awareness of the needs around about him. He knew what people were thinking. He knew when the Pharisees were looking all righteous and, and all inquisitive and like they really care about what God thinks about how they live their life and really they were just trying to set him up. He knew that. He knew when people were just following because, you know, they'd seen and heard about the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes and they thought, here's a meal ticket. Let's follow Jesus. He knew that. He was aware of what was going on in people's hearts. He was aware of a little guy in a tree called Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who was a short man. He couldn't see past the crowd. He was sitting up in a tree trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus was aware that he was there. And he was aware that there was something about this man that was different. And he was ready to receive the kingdom of God. And so he calls him out and says, come down, I'm going to eat at your house today. And I don't know about you, but that's challenging and exciting at the same time. I know, you know, I'm a typical male I tend to get head down, tail up in whatever I'm doing. I get tunnel vision and I can be oblivious to what's going on around about me while I'm doing a particular task. But one of my prayers is, God, please help sensitize me to A, your voice, but B, to the needs of those around about me. Because this world is full of needs and we need to be aware of those needs if we are to be a part of the answer to those problems. So I think that's important to be able to do that. In, in, in terms of an action point, just make that part of your prayer life. Holy Spirit, sensitize me, A, to your voice and to the needs of those around about me. The fact is that there are people within your sphere of influence, whether you consider yourself to be great or small, influential or not so, there are people within your sphere of influence, the group of people that you know and, and do life with, that God wants you to notice. There are people within your sphere of influence who may or may not be Christians at this point in time, but are praying for answers in life. They are looking for help. They are looking for solutions. And who knows that God hasn't called you to be a part of the answer to their prayers. And if we are awake, if we are sensitive to, those, to that possibility, well, then I think we can be a sort of people that live beyond ourselves. Think about, you know, talking to someone Who's, who's maybe a, a single mum. And they just are talking about the fact their child is really struggling at school. They're, they're getting bullied and they're not getting good grades and they, they dread going to school every day. They just have to drag them out the house. I mean, that's, that's a situation. That's someone's circumstance. And at that point, we have a, an opportunity. We can dismiss it and get on with our busy lives and think, well, good luck to her. Glad that kid's not mine. Or possibly we could ask her if there's anything we could do. Or at very least, we can, having walked away from that situation, say, God, is there anything you want me to do in that situation? Because it could be as simple as, 
They're in year seven, they're struggling with maths. Mate, I can help with maths. Year seven level, I think. You know what I'm saying? It could just be offering a little... Many people's lives are so, they're so dry. They're so desperate. They're so strung out. And things that you and I just dismiss offhandedly is because we live in such a blessed, we're in such blessed company and such good company. Other people are just starving for that sort of stuff. And a bit of support, a bit of help, a bit of practical encouragement. Maybe, maybe it's just you know, getting alongside and helping take the, in, in, integrate the child into some other friendships. There's just little things that we can be part of the answer in. It's just by being aware. Just a, just a I guess, a, a, um, a note on this whole awareness factor. If we're aware of all the problems in the world, it will kill us. It will crush us and paralyze us into doing nothing. I'm saying, worry about your sphere of influence first before you worry about the starving in India, the war-torn, in, wherever else. Okay, there's, you know, there's... There are times and there are means and there are ways in which we as a local church are able to sometimes have impacts beyond you know, the na- this nation, etc. But for the most part, we as believers are going to be most effective where we actually live and amongst those whom we actually live amongst. So think about that. You can't do everything. But if you stay close to God and you're talking to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to lead and direct you, you'll be able to pick up on who, who, where is my time well spent and where is it wasted? I've said this before, I've got some friends who are dear friends from way back in primary school. They come into my life, they go out of my life, they come into my life. But every time they come into my life, I ask God the question, is this the time? Are they ready? And usually within an hour, I can work out, no, <laughs> they're not ready yet. But sometimes they are. Sometimes they, they, you get a question or you get, you, they, they, they begin to talk differently about the things of church. They might say, oh, I've just been thinking about you guys. Like, and, thinking. and so that's... I think that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so we're sensitive to things. Okay, what does God do? Well, God is in the world today by his spirit. He's convicting people of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come because the most important thing that happens in life is death. And our relationship with God at that particular point in time will determine where we spend forever. Okay, so there's lots of things that happen in a person's life that are important and, and, and demand time and attention. And all that sort of but at the end of the day, God is concerned about people's eternal salvation. Okay, and so the things that pertain to that are the things that we need to have an ear attuned to. And so if we notice, you know, a person might be totally antagonistic towards church and doesn't want to know about it, but we may notice a slight softening in their heart towards us or towards the things of God. That's a very good chance that that is a person that God is working in their life. And so we need to be sensitive and aware of those sort of things. Okay, and if we're doing that, we can save ourselves a whole bunch of energy and time spent on people who aren't yet ready and don't yet care and focus it on those that are ready and do care. Making sense? Excellent. All right. The third thing I want to talk about, having fostered in our lives an attitude of appreciation, having asked God to help us be aware aware of what's going on, I think the third thing in terms of resolving to become, uh, live beyond ourselves, is simply action. We've got to put things into action. We've got to get greater action into our life. Jesus, sorry, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, 
to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus' example to us is one of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is really just love that pays a price. It does something. You know, if you're in a marriage and there's no sacrificial love, there's no doing of something, there's a good chance that marriage is going to get cold and stale. But where there's a marriage where there's sacrificial love, where there's a giving of oneself for the sake of another, that marriage can thrive, not just survive. Okay? And so Jesus gives us, and I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus actually did something. I mean, imagine the Holy Trinity in heaven, Adam and Eve have just messed up, and they have this conversation going, wouldn't it be good if one of us, sitting at this table right now, was prepared to go and offer our lives as a sacrifice for them? And Jesus goes, that'd be awesome. Holy Spirit, what do you think? Holy Spirit, yep, that'd be so good. So who's it going to be then? Well, Jesus looks at the Holy Spirit and says, well, I reckon you should. (laughs) You know know what I'm saying? Talk does nothing. Talk doesn't help anyone. Debating doesn't help anyone. Just reflecting doesn't help anyone. Having good intentions doesn't help anyone. It's, It's what actually doing something that helps someone. What helps us today is that Jesus Christ actually left heaven, was willing to put up with all the nonsense that he had to put up with, ultimately laid his life down as a sacrifice on our behalf in order that our sins could be dealt with, we could come back into a relationship with God and we can have an eternal future with him. Because of what Jesus did, not because of what he thought about, not because of his good intentions, but because he actually did it. He resolved to do it. He didn't have a fantasy about becoming the saviour of the world. He didn't have a good idea. It wasn't wishful thinking. It was something he resolved. He made a firm decision. Isaiah says that he set his face like flint. He said, I'm going to do this thing. He didn't wake up on a good day and think, do I feel like sacrificing my life for these guys today? And then get distracted at breakfast time and, nah, I'll put it off till tomorrow. No, he, he made a choice based on the value he placed on humanity and he walked it through. And you and I, we're called to do the same thing. To resolve to be people of action, not just people of highfalutin ideas and sound theology and, you know, good intentions, but people of action, people who make a difference within that sphere of influence that we're calling out, that we're asking to be more aware of. Every day, you and I are going to be faced with opportunities and choices. I recognise there's a need there. Am I going to get involved or not? If I'm going to get involved, what am I going to do? We can live for ourselves or we can live for the sake of others. We can watch people slowly die before our very eyes or we can see them come alive as we get involved in their lives. Jesus spoke about, unless you take up your cross and follow me, unless you die to yourself, you won't really live. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, dying to self, living for the sake of others. Hey, look, the reality is it can look spectacular, but it can also look very mundane. It can look heroic, and it can look like just another day. 
I was reading just recently about, um, you, you've probably at some point heard of a man called John Simpson Kirkpatrick. No? May have ever seen a picture. If you've ever seen anything with Anzac Day, there's often a picture of this guy with a hat on and a donkey. You know the one? This guy, 22 years old, he'd, he'd uh, come across from England as a stoker on a ship and he'd deserted from the ship and he'd, he'd um, basically messed around a little bit and then the, the First World War started. And so this guy, um, he was a big burly guy and so he ends up at Gallipoli on the 25th of April. And because he's a big man, they put him on as a stretcher bearer. And he was supposed to be one of a team of six people that would help with the wounded. The trouble is they landed at the wrong spot and it was carnage. And the first day, nearly half of the guys were dead or wounded. And so these teams of six stretcher bearers was cut down to teams of two stretcher bearers because there was just so much need. And then he sees a donkey. And so he grabs the donkey and he becomes famous because of what he does. Just day in, day out, he just goes into the thick of the battle and he would just pick up men, sling them over his shoulder bring them back into the safe zone, put them on his donkey and bring them back down. Within the next few days, he rescues 300 people. On the 19th of May, so less than a month later, he takes a machine gun burst to the back, he's dead. But he is literally one of our heroes of a, in, our, in our Australian history, particularly when it comes to war. Most people, I don't know if you guys, most people would know who he is or see her. And on his gravestone, it says, no greater love has any man than he that lays down his life. For his friend. Now, to me, that's, that's amazingly heroic. That's inspiring. I mean, this guy has been, uh, circumstantially, things didn't go according to plan and forms were filled out wrong, and he should have got a VC for his action. He was an inspiration to so many. Saved 300 lives over a period of 20-odd days. That's heroic to me. That's inspiring to me. That's motivational to me. That's, that's a spectacular way to live your life. Another guy called Albert McMakin you may or may not have heard of. You've probably got more chance of having heard of the other guy. But this guy was just a farmer. And he was 24 years old and just recently become a Christian. And he decides to invite one of his friends to church. The trouble is his friend's not interested in church, doesn't give a rip about church. He's all right. He's a bit of a ladies' man. He's, a, he's, he's the, the guy on campus. He's the popular dude. And he just has got better things to do with his life. And so this guy thinking, okay, He's within my sphere of influence. I sense, I'm aware that, that God is calling me to do something in this man's life. He knows, I know what I'll do. I'll hire a truck and I'll offer for him to drive me to this meeting because I know he wants to drive and he hasn't got a car. So the long and short of it is Billy Graham drives this guy to this meeting, sits in the truck and listens to what's going on. And then the next meeting does the same thing and eventually Billy Graham makes a decision, gives his life to God And the rest, as they say, is history. You've heard of Billy Graham. You may have heard of Johnson. You've probably never heard of the other guy. But the fact is, his life has a significance that will echo into eternity. It wasn't spectacular. It wasn't necessarily heroic, but he did something. Had the opportunity to walk away, had the opportunity to go for someone else. But he persisted because he sensed something of God on Billy Graham's life. In God's economy... Helping a struggling, a struggling student to do their maths could well be just as, as significant and as life-changing and saving as pulling them out of a burning building. Because remember, it's not just about what happens here and now in this life, but God's concern 
is all eternity. I don't know what happened to those 300 men. I hope many of them were thankful to God that they'd been saved and I hope they went on and are in eternity right now with God because of what John Simpson Kirkpatrick did in saving them. I hope the the Jews that were saved by Oscar Schindler were thankful and are in eternity now. But there's no guarantee of that, that a heroic action has an eternal consequence. But when we as believers give our lives to God and say, God, here I am, use me. Help me to be aware of what's going around and help me to act in a way that has eternal consequences. It can be a simple thing. It can be helping a little kid with his homework. It could be inviting someone to kid go. It could be saying, well, she's a single mum. She's working a squillion hours just to get bread on the table. And her son wants to play cricket. He can't get to practice. He can't get to games. I'll do it. And it could be a precursor to bring him along to church. There are so many things that you and I would just put in the category of mundane and insignificant and not worth doing. But when God attaches his people to any task, it becomes of eternal significance. It's like the bloke. It's a beer, boxing, and burger night, for goodness sake. What could God possibly do with that? And yet there are people sitting in these chairs. Maybe right now, maybe not, but they certainly normally are, because maybe they're on holidays right now. But they're here because we as a church decided to do something that was seemingly worldly, seemingly insignificant, but the fact that we are in connection with God, we bring eternal eternal significance to it. It could just be taking a meal to a neighbour who's doing it tough, or maybe they don't need to be doing it tough. Maybe it's an act of kindness. It could be an offer to babysit. The awareness might be, gee, someone's just spoken to me about their marriage, and they are on the brink of divorce right now. God, is there anything I can do? I don't feel equipped to be a counsellor. Maybe I'll send them to Pete and Sally and Rainbow. That might be okay. (laughs) But it could just be, these guys, their problem is they just never have any time together. They've got three kids or four kids. Maybe I could offer to babysit. And you say, you guys have a date. In fact, here's some money. Go and have a meal on us. Mate, make make it a holiday, whatever. But, you know, there's something we can do that becomes part of the answer to someone's problem. It could be welcoming a new employee at work. I was chatting to someone in our church, a very dear member of our church, great guy, very friendly, very funny, and he was saying one of the workplaces he was at, no one, because of where he came from, no one spoke to him at all. No one had anything good to say to him, they didn't want to help him, they didn't want to, and he never, while he worked there, received an invitation to anything. All the guys that go out for a beer after on a Friday night, never got an invitation. All the guys that go around each other's barbecue, place for a barbecue, never got an invitation. What do you think a person coming along and giving an invitation to a person like that would, would do? I think that would be encouraging. I think that would be inspiring. I think it would make them a little bit open to the possibility that Christians have something to offer that those in the world don't. God forbid that we become part of the crowd that's exclusive and not inviting people over and not helping them to get to know the ropes at work because we're afraid of our own job security or whatever. Recently, Benno and I attended a funeral of someone in the, uh, a family member of someone in the church. And it was such a privilege to be there. We didn't know the person who'd passed away personally, but we just sensed, I think the family would appreciate us being there. And so we did something. We actually just went along. And I think... My sense was that the the gratitude, the appreciation of that was out of all proportion to what we actually did. And I'm just glad that we did it. We could have made an excuse. We could have said we're busy, we've got other things on. It was last minute, we could have, you know. 
but we just did something. Even a smile is doing something. You know, when you go for a walk through your neighbourhood, maybe you've got your headphones on and you're trying to lose those few kilos or whatever you're doing, are you aware of other people around you? Maybe they're walking towards you, maybe they're neighbours that live a couple of streets down, they're just driving past. Have we got time for them? Do we smile at them and wave and, and show forth a friendly persona? Are we welcoming or are we intense? And do we ignore people because they're just not on our radar? I think you know, there's nothing wrong with that in the, if, we, if we're not aware of it. But now we are. <laughs> and so I think let's be people that are, you know, like I said, we're living in a world where by and large people are lonely, people are hurting, people are confused, people are worried about the future. And we have the answer to all of those things. The answer is always Jesus, yes. But it often starts with these little things. Because people aren't necessarily interested in Jesus until they see him with skin on. And when they see people who are different, who respond differently, who bring some help and some relief into their lives, it just opens them up that little bit more. Like beer, boxing and burgers, it just opens them up a little bit more to the possibility that there is a God who loves them. And that these are his people. And that they've got something to offer. So the action for action is just take action. Do something. Don't wait until you feel like it. You may never, ever be motivated to do something, but I can guarantee if you do it, you'll feel motivated afterwards. You'll know that you've done a good thing and and the the favour of God will be upon your life. The smile of God, you'll sense it. How it it looks isn't what matters. If it's spectacular and you get famous, good on you. (laughs) But if it's not spectacular and no one ever hears about it until you get to heaven and see the people that you impacted, so be it. Get involved. Get involved at church. Get involved in your street. Get involved in your family. Get involved at school. Get involved with your sports mates or whatever. But just get involved in people's lives. Rub shoulders with them. Do stuff together. Look for the opportunities and make the most of them. Because that's what Jesus did. He was known as a friend of sinners and a drunkard because of the sorts of things that he was involved in, the sorts of people he was involved with. Let's not stand aloof and come here and sing songs and have lofty ideals, but then really offer no practical help to the society in which we live. Nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. I think it's good to take time and reflect and evaluate where we've been and contemplate where we're going. But there's a big difference between a resolution and wishful thinking. And there's a big difference between a resolution that is you focused. Hey, God bless you in your efforts to save money and lose pounds and all all that sort of stuff. That's cool, but it's often an us thing. Let's live for the things that have eternal consequence. Let's live beyond ourselves by taking time daily to be thankful, to reflect on what God has already done, to ask God to help us be aware of what's going on around us, And then to do what we can, where we can, in order that the love of God will be seen in our lives. Does that sound like something that this group of people, I would imagine a group of people that have come to church on New Year's Day morning, after possibly having been up a little bit later than night, I would think a a group of people like that would be the sort of people saying, yeah, that's what I want. I want to do that. So that being the case, I've made some assumptions, but I'm going to pray for you that that will be the case. We bow our heads. Father, I thank you for being a part of this church. And I thank you for every person in this room. I think our attendance this morning says that we are for you, that we want our lives to count for you, Lord. 
And I pray that you would help us to overcome that tendency towards selfishness and, and fighting for our rights and looking to our own concerns and developing a comfortable lifestyle. And help us to live beyond ourselves, Lord, I pray. Lord, even people that don't know you right now, they're here for a reason, I'm sure. They want to know whether you're real, whether you're worth living for, whether you're worth giving a life to. And so, God, I pray that as we come before you and just say, Lord, I resolve to live beyond myself, to serve you, to appreciate you, to serve and appreciate others, to count for you. Lord, may our lives echo into all eternity. May the things that we do have eternal significance. May they be a blessing in the here and now. But may the ongoing fruit of that be people who come to know Jesus because of the opportunity we've given them. May it be people that are forever with us in your presence in the years to come. And so God bless us, I pray, as we leave this place. May we leave with a greater sensitivity to the needs of others in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.